Welcome to podcast episode 213. I'm Stuart McCullough, the CEO of VHIA. Joining me for this week's discussion is workplace relations consultant Madeline White. Hello, Maddie. Hi, Stuart. Maddie, it's not your first podcast. You know how it works. I'm going to show you a clue, and based on that clue, you're going to tell me what the subject for today's discussion is. Uh, today's clue is, is a little bit of video. Here it is. Im Detail geschehen und gleichzeitig mit großer Entschiedenheit. Denn der Euro ist unsere gemeinsame Währung, er ist unser Wohlstand, er ist integraler Bestandteil Europas und deshalb sind wir uns unserer Verantwortung hier auch außerordentlich bewusst. Merci uh, Angela, vous, vous comprenez bien que si uh, la chancelière Merkel et moi-même nous passons tant de temps en réunion ensemble au téléphone en contact avec l'ensemble de nos partenaires so, Maddie, for the benefit of those people who are who are listening to this podcast rather than, than watching it, can you describe the podcast clue? I've got some interesting dialogue happening between them. Um, that's a bit different. Wasn't expecting that conversation to happen between those two leaders. In fact, what we've got there, I think, is some vision uh, about a meeting where one person was trying to influence uh, the other. Uh, so based on that clue, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Well, it got me really thinking for a Friday. Um, just thinking about where we're at to with bargaining. I'm thinking maybe we're going to be giving, you know, discussions, maybe an update on where some of our agreements are at in the bargaining process. But no, that's not quite correct, uh, Maddie. Uh, given that we've got one person trying to influence the other, that's a key, um, uh, a key element of today's subject, which is consultation. Um, as, as such, so we'll be talking about the new consultation provision, uh, the modified consultation provision and some related provisions from the nurses and midwives agreement. And because this is part of our implementation series, and not only do we have that clue, we also have a reasonably spectacular title slide. So, Maddie, the consultation provisions of the Nurses and Midwives Agreement, they're not new, um, but the most recent negotiation did make some amendments to those existing terms and also introduced a new term with respect to ward amalgamations. That's right. And we'll be starting with Clause 11 consultation. Maddie, just as a reminder, when does Clause 11 apply? It applies where an employer proposes a major change that may have a significant effect. All right, so major change, significant effect I hear. Those terms, when they appear in the agreement, are capitalised. So does that mean that they're defined terms? They are. So major change is defined as a change in the employee's program, production, organisation, physical workplace, workplace arrangements, structure or technology that is likely to have a significant effect on employees. And significant effect uh, includes but is not limited to termination of employment, changes in the size, composition or operation of the employer's workforce, including for outsourcing or skills required, alteration of the number of hours worked, reduction in remuneration, changes to classification, PD, duties or reporting lines, need for retraining, 
or relocation, redeployment, transfer to another site or to other work, removal of an existing amenity, removal or reduction of job opportunities, promotion opportunities or job tenure. So those definitions, uh, Maddie, are in the agreement. So when considering that question, that threshold question of do I need to consult, um, it's worthwhile starting with asking that question, is it a major change as described? Uh, and will it have a significant effect or is it likely to have a significant effect as defined? Yeah, bearing in mind that those terms are quite broad. And we'll also be addressing a little later the issue of what to do if a change is occurring that doesn't meet that major change significant uh, significant effect threshold. But before we do that, uh, and just sticking with clause 11 for the moment, uh, the clause also contains a definition of, of consultation. It does. Specifically, consultation means a genuine opportunity to influence the decision maker, but not joint decision making. It is not merely an announcement as to what is about to happen. So that definition is not something that the parties simply came up with by themselves, is it? No, it comes from the decision of Commissioner Smith as he was then regarding Vodafone. One of the interesting things for me about that definition is that it has this obvious balance to it. It's not joint decision making, um, but it's not simply telling someone what's about to happen. That's right. It's a genuine opportunity to influence the decision maker. So consultation in practical terms is really a process that creates the space for that genuine opportunity to influence the decision maker. It is. The agreement sets out a series of steps that must be uh, are complied with and an indicative time frame for those steps. So it's, it's worth emphasising at this point that the timeframes are indicative rather than prescriptive. A shorter or a longer timeframe might be appropriate depending on the circumstances. It is. One of the chief complaints around organisational change is the time it takes and the indicative timeframes help support a fair and reasonable process. Uh, and bearing in mind that, um, that something that's too drawn out really won't be in the interests of anyone, um, Maddie, we're talking about the nurses and midwives agreement today. Indicative timeframes are a feature of most agreements, but not all agreements. That is, not all agreements have indicative timeframes. That's true. A couple don't. And sometimes a union might be very, very quick uh, to point that out, uh, disproportionately quick, I would say. That's right. But those agreements do generally have an obligation to undertake the steps in a timely manner manner having regard to the circumstances. So just in terms of those steps, Maddie, take us through the consultation steps. The first step is to provide a change impact statement to the affected employees and the union. So just interested in that term affected employees, uh, who are affected employees for the purposes of the consultation clause? An affected employee is defined as an employee on whom a major change may have a significant effect. And you also refer to a change impact statement. What information should be included in a change impact statement? Some obvious things. A change impact statement will include all relevant information, including details of the proposed change, reasons for the proposed change. Uh, it'll also include uh, a range of other materials, such as the possible effect on workload, uh, occupational health and safety where occupational health and safety impacts are identified, a risk assessment prepared in consultation with HSRs and proposed mitigating actions to prevent those effects, the expected change, uh, benefit of the change, 
measures the employer is considering to mitigate or avert the impact of the change, current and new position descriptions if relevant, the right to have a representative, including a union representative at any time, and other written material relevant to the reason for the change with some exclusions. There's a lot in that, Maddie, so let's unpack that just a little bit. Uh, it makes sense for a change impact statement to describe what the proposed change is, uh, the reason and the expected benefit. It does, but also the effect of the change on employees. That's why there's a requirement to consider things like workload, OH&S, and measures that may mitigate or avert the impact of the change. So for those people who aren't familiar with that term, mitigate or avert, what does it mean? Really what it means is whether there are things that the employer can do that reduce or avoid a negative impact of change. Perfect. So would salary, um, would salary maintenance be an example of that? If a change would result in a reduction in pay, salary maintenance mitigates the impact of the change. So one of the things that has uh, changed with the updated clause is that it's more specific on the issue of position descriptions now. It is. Uh, whether or not PD should be provided was a common source of disputation that generally was resolved with the PDs being provided. Uh, if there are changes to a PD, the current and proposed PD should both be provided. So that's a change in the new term. Uh, also at clause 11.4b, there's a new term it talks about what to do if an affected employee or their representative are concerned about whether the change impact statement complies with the requirements of the consultation clause. Uh, the clause provides that any concerns by an affected employee or their representative regarding whether the change impact statement complies with clause 11.4 will be raised as soon as practical and before step two. So let's give that a little bit of context. Why introduce that clause? It's in everyone's uh, interest that these processes are fair and efficient, but there had been some instances of disputes arising later in the process about things that could have been raised at the outset. And I think our experience was that that was generally followed by a dispute about what impact that dispute had on the process. That is whether or not the parties were then required to go back to step one, or whether the issue was resolved and the parties then moved on. So this term requires that matters are raised as soon as they are they can be raised rather than at the last minute. So the employer uh, provides a change impact statement with, the inf with a, quite a bit of information is step one. What does step two involve? Uh, it involves an opportunity for the employees or their representative to respond in writing. And is there a time frame with regards to that response? It's 14 days, but it is an indicative time frame, so it could be longer. I think, um, I think best practice would be that if a representative requires more time that they're communicating to the employer as to the time that they need. And it should be reasonable. Now, step three concerns meetings, doesn't it? It does. Meetings uh, is a way to engage on the contents of the change impact statement and any response that's been provided. I think one of the things around meetings is to note that whilst a meeting is required, the clause doesn't impose any limit on the number of meetings that, that might occur, occur really. Um, this is a minimum. There could be several. The agreement just provides uh, a framework and the minimum. So uh, a response is given and then there's a meeting. What does step four require? The employer must generally consider uh, those matters and provide a written response. 
So we started um, this discussion by talking about what consultation is, and that consultation is that genuine opportunity to influence the decision maker. So you know, those steps that you're describing in terms of provision of information, opportunity to respond, uh, meeting and responding, it's really all about that genuine opportunity to influence the decision maker. Yeah, step five provides that a union or, or employees can propose an alternative that takes into account the objectives. So just on that uh, submitting an alternative, is it compulsory for an alternative to be submitted? No, it may be submitted, but there's no obligation to do so. So there's a process that involves an exchange of information and considering the views of others. How, how does the process conclude? There's an outcome. So step six um, provides that after considering the things that have been raised in the process, the employer is to write to employees in the union advising of the outcome of consultation, including whether the employer intends to proceed with the change proposal, any amendment to the change proposal arising from consultation, details of any measures to mitigate or avert the effect of the changes on affected employees, a summary of how matters that have been raised by affected employees, the union and their representatives, including any alternative proposal, have been taken into account. Uh, Maddie, I think that point with respect to amendments is really important. Very important. A consultation process means the proposal is likely to change as a result. Uh, and a change to a proposal uh, is good evidence that the employer has considered the views of others. It is. And the written outcome should reflect that, as well as describing how it is that uh, the employer has taken into account the views of employees and the unions. Um, a clear process is well and good, but the fact is that every agreement has a consultation provision and consultation is overrepresented in terms of a source of dis uh, disputation. Um, what would you say, Maddie, to members who do have consultation disputes? Consultation disputes are not about whether you can make a change. Consultation disputes are about whether you've met the requirements of the clause. Uh, so sometimes a party uh, to a consultation dispute uh, uses that as a means to oppose the change rather than raise concerns about the process. Yes, uh, the, that's particularly the case under some other agreements, but the employer is ultimately responsible for the decision and within certain obvious limits, they can't be disputed. So if employers do experience difficulties, we would recommend that they consider using the Fair Work Commission to resolve any differences with respect to process. Maddie, uh, Clause 11A uh, has been separated out from Clause 11 to stand separately. Why is that? We found that there was some confusion as to whether the term regarding consultation about changes to rosters or hours uh, works operated. So first things first, uh, you said it's a compulsory term. It is. It must be in the agreement. And besides some subtle uh, relocation, what's changed? Under he the heading, there's an explanation as to when Clause 11A applies. Uh, specifically, it states uh, Clause 11A uh, applies where a change to regular roster or ordinary hours of work, which may impact upon an employee, particularly in relation to their family and caring responsibilities, does not constitute a major change in accordance with subclause 11.2C. Okay, so that's really important because we've just gone through clause 11, which has a six stage process for consultation. 
for major change that has a significant effect. Whereas the process in 11A is far more direct and not as elaborate, and it's where it doesn't reach that major change significant effect threshold. Just want to point out that the, the words that were on screen are based on the um, explanatory memorandum uh, about the legislative provision. So again, not something that the parties have invented, something that the parties have drawn from another source. Uh, but, but what does it mean uh, in practical terms, Manny? What it means uh, is that Clause 11A applies to certain types of change, uh, changes to rosters or hours of work, and it only applies if the change does not constitute a major change with a significant effect. Okay, so a change to rosters or hours of work, if it meets that definition of major change and significant effect, it should still be dressed under Clause 11 and not 11A. That, that is correct. You only get to 11A if it's not a major change with, with a significant effect. Essentially, it fills a gap. It means there will be some kind of uh, consultation over changes to when people work because that impacts other things such as family responsibilities. Maddie, there's one more term that we're going to look at today, uh, which is Clause 11B, no amalgamation of wards without agreement of ANMF and employer. Correct. Where an amalgamation of a ward is proposed, it's subject to the requirements of the consultation clause with an exception. And what's that exception? 11.10 uh, of the consultation does not apply. So clause 11.10 of the consultation term says disputes about consultation go through the regular disputes process. And as we know, that ends up at the Fair Work Commission ultimately. So that doesn't apply with regards to a dispute about a proposed amalgamation of, of wards. Uh, Mandy, where there is a dispute, uh, what does apply? A dispute about a uh, proposed amalgamation of wards goes to the statewide industry panel. Uh, and the clause also states that during the life of the agreement, there will be no amalgamation of wards that will result in a an increase in workload for the employees working in those wards who are covered by this agreement, or b increase in patient risk in those wards without the agreement of the ANMF and the employer. In practical terms, if a ward uh, amalgamation is proposed, an employer should consider how to address those issues. That is how to ensure there's neither an increase in workload for employees in those wards or an increase to patient risk. That's right. So it's, it's worth noting um, that because of ratios, if a ward is amalgamated, the number of nurses will increase, with one exception. Namely managers. Managers are determined per ward rather than per patient. So if, if a ward amalgamation is proposed, a critical consideration is how to ensure that the workload of managers doesn't increase, such as through additional staffing. It's not a common occurrence, uh, pandemic aside, but members should be aware that there are distinct rules. Maddie, thank you for taking us through the updated consultation provisions of the Nurses and Midwives Agreement. My pleasure.